Amen. Amen. Thank you, choir musicians. And thank you this morning for coming to bless the name of God and, much more importantly, to be blessed by God. God, uh, we need God far more than He needs us. And um, so that's why we come this morning to hear from Him. So I welcome you again, and let me invite you now to join with me in another word of prayer as we ask the Lord for a blessing this morning. Lord, um, Jacob wrestled on the other side of the Jordan, Lord, and he said, I won't let you go till you give me a blessing. And then you pulled his hip out of joint <laughs> to remind him of his desperate need of you. And Lord, we take hold of you this morning, boldly confessing, Lord, that we need you, that we need a word from heaven, that we come this morning uh, burdened in many ways by different Thoughts, uh, struggles, cares, anxieties, or maybe just distractions, fears, whatever they are, Lord, we come and we ask that they would all now vanish in the light of the glory and grace of Jesus Christ. Be lifted up. Be lifted up now, Lord Jesus, before our eyes. Help us to see you with greater clarity than we've ever seen you before. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible, please turn to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. I came across this story uh, not too long ago that... I want to read to you. A little boy visiting his grandparents was given his first slingshot. He practiced in the woods, but he could never hit his target. He went back to grandma's backyard where he he spied her pet duck. On an impulse, he took aim and let fly. The stone hit, and the duck fell dead. The boy panicked. Desperately, he hid the dead duck in the woodpile, only to look up and see his sister watching. Sally had seen it all, but she said nothing. After lunch that day, Grandma said, Sally, let's wash the dishes. But Sally said, Johnny told me he wanted to help in the kitchen today, didn't you, Johnny? And she whispered to him, remember the duck. So Johnny did the dishes. Later, Grandpa asked if the children wanted to go fishing. Grandma said, I'm sorry, but I need Sally to help make supper. Sally smiled and said, that's all taken care of. Johnny wants to do it. Again, she whispered, remember the duck. Johnny stayed while Sally went fishing. After several days of Johnny doing both his chores and Sally's, finally he couldn't stand it. He confessed to his grandma that he killed the duck. I know, Johnny, 
she said, giving him a hug. I was standing at the window and saw the whole thing. (laughs) Because I love you, I forgave you. I wondered how long you would let Sally make a slave of you. Sin slaves enslaves. It makes you its captive. It heaps righteously, in, in some ways, the law that is, it heaps righteously guilt upon you. But only forgiveness can free you from your guilt and your sin. And that's what God has done for us in Christ, and that's what we're going to talk about today. In Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 21. So, if you have a Bible and you're able and willing, please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The word of God. You may be seated. Today we're going to see three things from our text. In the form of a sentence. And the three things are this. Number one, we have been born into slavery. Two, but have been reborn into freedom. Three, therefore let us live in freedom. We have been born into slavery, but have been reborn into freedom. Therefore, live in freedom. But first, number one, we have been born into slavery. Last week... Paul made a, if you, if you remember, Paul was making a personal appeal on the basis of his relationship with the Galatians, appealing to them, saying, you had blessedness, you, you received me as an angel of God. And um, you received me as an angel of God. What has become of your blessedness? So that was kind of like a, a theological, that was kind of like a personal aside in his theological argument. But now Paul gets back to his, his, his argument for the Galatians, uh, concerning how we are free from the law, we are children of God by faith in the promise, and, and as children of promise, we are heirs of God. And so he uses this illustration of, of 
Sarah and Hagar. Now, if you've, if you've been reading, if you've been keeping up with our, our daily uh, Bible reading um, through the Bible, and if you haven't been, you can start today. It's on the back of your bulletin. But if you have been doing that, we just read uh, not too long ago the story of Sarah and Hagar in our Bible reading. But if you're not familiar with the story, God gave Abraham a promise, a promise that he would make him the father of many nations, that through him all the nations of the world would be blessed. He took him out to look at the stars and said, and said look at the stars in the heavens, the sand of the sea, so shall your offspring be. But if you're going to have more descendants than the stars in the heaven, you need a child. And Abraham didn't have one. And he, at this time, by the time he gets a son, is about 100 years old. And Sarah is about 90. But God gave them the promise, I don't know, decades, decades before they had Isaac. And so, what does Sarah do? Well, in, in weakness and in unbelief in the flesh, you might say, she tells Abraham... They're going to help God a little bit keep his promise. Why don't you take my servant Hagar and bear a child with her, and then he will be counted as mine, and, and, and he will be the heir. And so, they, Sarah and Abraham, rather than trusting in God's promise, they try to take things into their own hand, and Ishmael is born. Nevertheless, God still comes later and says, you'll have a son of your own. In fact, when God said it, Sarah was eavesdropping in a tent. A woman never eavesdropped, but Sarah was, was eavesdropping in the tent. And when God said that, she laughed. And God said, Sarah, you laughed. And she said, I didn't laugh. Don't argue with God. And Abraham, on one occasion, he laughed too. He said, Shall, shall I have a, a son in my old age? Sarah is 90 years old. Can she have a son? And Abraham says, let Ishmael live before you. And God says, but you will have a son. Paul sees in this story uh, a picture. A, he, he says this can be interpreted allegorically. Now, I don't think this means that we can take scripture and just automatically assume that everything has some kind of secret hidden meaning. I don't think Paul understands that either. But nevertheless, what Paul is saying is he sees in this story a picture, an illustration, an image, a type, if you will, that corresponds to the issue at hand that he's dealing with with the Galatians. And so what, what exactly is Paul seeing? Hagar was an attempt by Abraham and Sarah to fulfill God's promise on their own. It was an, it was an act of unbelief, as it were. They, were. they were trying to take human means and human wisdom because they, they, they didn't believe in God's promise in order to kind of make things happen on their own. They were... They were, they were focused on human activity and what they did rather than resting in what God was going to do. 
So one son, Ishmael, was born according to the flesh through unbelief, but nevertheless, another son named Isaac was born according to promise. In other words, they couldn't have had Isaac if they tried. She was barren. She was way postmenopausal, as you could say. She, there was no way that she could have a child, but nevertheless, she had a child. Why? Because it was a child of promise. In fact, Paul says that he was born of the Spirit. Of course, he was born of the Spirit because it was a miracle. And so what, what Paul is saying here is what's true of Sarah and Hagar is, is true in this issue that he's dealing with with the Galatians. Hagar represents the Old Covenant. She represents Mount Sinai. Where, what is Mount Sinai? Mount Sinai is the mountain where God gave Moses the law. And the Galatians' problem was that they were trying to go back to the law in order to to use the law as their right standing before God and in order to try to be saved by their works. And Paul says that that Mount Sinai corresponds to Hagar. It's, It's trying to live as a slave. The old covenant, Paul says, could could only produce slave children. Children who were enslaved to their sin. As we've talked about before, the law cannot save you. It just condemns you. The law law shows you how righteous God is, and and by implication it shows you how unrighteous you are, but it gives you no power to obey. It doesn't change your heart. And this is, Nate, this is human tendency. We tend to focus on people's outward actions, but we tend to neglect the heart. Instead of asking primarily, you know, what it is people do, we need to be asking, why is it that they do what they do? It's because they are worshiping something. It's because they're seeking something. It's because they're looking for something. And Paul says the law condemns us, but it couldn't save us because it couldn't change our hearts. And Paul says that, therefore, if you go back to the law to try to earn your right standing before God, you will fail. You will fall. You are rejecting God's grace. See, humans, humans in pride, often, it's oftentimes in pride before God, we like to say, I'm not that bad because we don't, want, we don't want to feel like God has to give us a handout. Let me tell you something. You need a handout. If, you don't, if you're too proud to receive God's handout, you can't be saved. If you don't come to God and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, an undeserving sinner, you can't be saved. No one can be moralized enough to get into heaven. You can be the best behaved kid on the block and you can well behave yourself straight into hell. If your heart's never been changed, will you... Because you, you can behave well out of fear of others, out of fear of others' expectations, out of fear of others' opinions, and have no love for God in your heart. No love for other people in your heart. You could, even, you could actually even despise those for whom you're behaving. Because your heart's never been changed. And this is what we're all born into, apart from God, without Christ, Gentiles or Jews, we're all slaves, slaves of our own sin, slaves of our own desires. Think about it. If, if, we just focus, if we don't focus on the heart and the change of the heart wrought by the Holy Spirit and we just focus on externals, when you focus on the law, when you focus on externals, one of two things happen. You either fall into despair 
because you see how far uh, short you fall of the righteousness and you realize that no matter how hard you try, you just can't meet God's standard and, you, and it uh, brings you to despair. Or the opposite happens. You think as you measure yourself up to God's law, you think you're doing pretty good and you can't figure out why those other, all those other people can't get their act together. And you become proud. But only, but see what the grace of God does that the law can't is the, the grace of God says you can't do it. You can't meet, you are, you are worse than you think you, you are, but I love you more than you ever dreamed. And my love for you is based on Jesus Christ and not what you do. And if you receive my love, if you receive my grace through Jesus Christ, I will come in and change your heart so that you can love and can obey. You see, the Bible teaches that we are enslaved to sin. And the, the thing about the slavery of the world is that we're enslaved and we don't know it. You see, people always assume that slavery is against your will. But that's actually not what the Bible teaches about the, the primary form of slavery that enslaves the world. It's not against your will. You're enslaved precisely because you want your sin so bad you can't not do it. You're enslaved because you want to be. Tom Schreiner, who's a professor at the seminary that I went to, and one of my, my favorite theologians, he wrote this story. He shares this story in one of his commentaries about his father. He says, when my dad was young, he decided he wanted to smoke cigarettes. He enjoyed them immensely. He did what he wanted to do when he started smoking. He loved cigarettes so much that he eventually smoked three packs a day. As he grew older, he became more concerned about his health. He decided he wanted to stop smoking, but he found it incredibly difficult to stop. He even enrolled in a one-week treatment program where, where, among other things, they tried shock treatment to wean him off the desire to smoke. But the shock treatment did not work. He smoked the day he came out of treatment. Smoking began for my dad as a choice, but later he was enslaved by it. Indeed, he could never shake the habit. And eventually, he contracted cancer and emphysema. Even when he had an oxygen tank at the end of his life, he still smoked. My dad thought he was free when he began to smoke, but he ended up being a slave of the habit. I think it was Adrian Rogers who, I can't remember exactly how it went, but he said something to this effect. Sin will take you where you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay and make you pay more than you wanted to pay. You see, the world touts freedom. I don't need Christianity. I don't need all those rules because I'm free. Are you? Are you free? Try to stop sinning. Tell me how free you are. Try to change the desires of your heart. Tell me how free you are. You might not be as free as you think. And it's different for different people, by the way. You know, it's easy to look at some sins out there, pornography, adultery, fornication, although really that's not that uh, risque anymore, drug abuse. But of course, there's all kinds of acceptable sins today, gossip, gluttony, laziness, greed, love of ease and comfort, love of praise. The Pharisees were the most moral people. They'd be more, they were more moral than anybody in this room, but they were greedy. 
and they loved praise. Pastor, what are you saying? Get your act together? No, I'm saying don't get your act together. I'm saying cast yourself on the mercy of God and he's, he'll give you the power to change. You see, we've been born into slavery and we can't redeem ourselves. But number two, we have been reborn into freedom. We have been reborn into freedom. Verse 26. But the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. You see, Paul says that the present-day Jerusalem, think about it. The present Jerusalem, the Jews who were so sure that they were the people of God. Paul says they were slaves. They were in slavery. They're in slavery to this day. Because they're relying on something as the basis of their relationship to God that cannot save them. But Paul has better hopes for the Galatians. Verse 26, the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. He has better hopes for the Galatians. That is that uh, in this analogy, uh, true Christianity is represented not by Hagar and Ishmael, but by Sarah and Isaac. That is that Mount Hagar corresponds to Mount Sinai, which corresponds to the present Jerusalem. Sarah corresponds to the, the, the uh, Isaac, which corresponds to the heavenly Jerusalem. That is that there are people who dwell physically in Jerusalem, but that's not the real Jerusalem you want to be part of. You want to be part of the heavenly Jerusalem. You want to be not a mere child of the flesh, but you want to be a child of the promise by the Spirit of God. Hagar and Ishmael, uh, like adherents to the law, were an attempt to get God's blessing through human activity rooted in unbelief. That's what we're doing when we try to get God's blessing through just what we do without trusting in God's promise. We're, we're following in the path of Hagar and Ishmael. But Sarah and Isaac, Isaac was what? He's a child of the promise. He couldn't have... He, uh, Abraham and Sarah, and through no work of their own, could they have brought forth Isaac. It was by God, supernaturally, mora- miraculously, by the Spirit. And the Bible says, if you have been born of the Spirit of God, you are like Isaac. You see it? And therefore, you are part of the heavenly Jerusalem, the true people of God. And then Paul makes this quote, here, rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those, than the one, than those of the one who has a husband. What's he talking about? Let's see if I can try to explain it. Paul, he's, he, he, he's, he's used this image of the heavenly Jerusalem. If you are citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem, you are part of God's people. You are children of God. Now, 
Again, remember, the whole theme of what he's talking about and what we've talked about for so long now is that the children of God are not those who are merely children of flesh, but are the children of faith, the children of the Spirit, those who have been changed by the power and the Spirit of God so that they love and serve God from the heart. And he quotes Isaiah 54, verse 1. And in the context of that passage in Isaiah... Isaiah is prophesying about the future exile of Israel. So you remember in 586 BC, the Babylonians came in and they destroyed Jerusalem and they exiled Israel out, the nation of Israel out of the Holy Land, out of the Promised Land. And Isaiah is prophesying about that. And he, in this whole image, all these prophecies are talking about how God is going to give them hope after the exile, okay? And that's where, he, that's, that's where it comes in. That's where Isaiah 53 and 54 comes in. He quotes Isaiah 54, 1, but Isaiah 54, 1 comes, of course, right at the end of Isaiah 53. Well, what's Isaiah 53 about? You remember? It's about the suffering servant, it is literally the clearest passage in all the Old Testament about how God would one day send a man who through his suffering is going to redeem Israel. You see? So let me read it to you. Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 10, and I want you to see how it slides right into Isaiah 54, verse 1. So Isaiah 53, verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. Think about what Isaiah is saying. This man, whoever he is, when he offers his body as an offering for guilt, he, through his death, he's going to have children. Isn't that astounding? Through his offering of death for sin, he is going to produce offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Verse 1, sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of the one who is married, says the Lord. What's, What's Paul saying? What's Isaiah saying? If you are an Israelite... And you have been promised by God through Abraham that you will be the heir of the land. But because of your sin, Babylon has come in and destroyed everything, destroyed your city, killed your children, killed all your family. And you're a woman and you're alone or left and you're left childless, desolate, barren and empty. And God tells you, I am sending a servant one day who is going to atone for your sins And through him, rejoice. 
childless woman because your offspring will be more than the one who has a husband. What's God saying? He's saying that I'm going to send a man who is going to deal with sin and, and give Abraham more children than he ever dreamed. You see? Abraham probably, he was just, Abraham was probably just thinking, oh, well, I'm just going to have a lot of kids, I'm just, a lot of children from my bloodline. And God had something way more in mind. When God told Abraham, look at the stars, God had anticipated something far greater than Abraham ever dreamed. That is, his children would not be ones who share his blood, but ones who share his faith. Let me tell you something. Abraham's got a lot of children. Chinese children. (laughs) Hundreds of millions of children of Abraham in China because they believe on in his Lord. India, Asia, North America, South America, Europe. Abraham has more children than he's ever dared dream. Why? Because they believe in his God. Jesus was that servant, and he has made the barren woman have more children than her who has a husband. And Paul says, down in verse 29, that just as at the time that uh, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. You see, human nature hates grace. Human nature doesn't like grace because, as I've said before, It forces you to, it requires you to admit something that nobody wants to admit, and that is you need it. Nobody, nobody, if you ask the, again, if you ask the average person, will you go to heaven, you say, wow, they say, I'm a pretty good person. Nine times out of ten, they're always going to say that. In other words, I'm not that bad. In other words, God owes me heaven. Every man is born, but not every man is reborn. Every man is born of the flesh, like Ishmael, but not every man is born of the spirit, like Isaac. What does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. We must, as Jesus said, as Billy Graham said, you must be born again. And if you have been born again, you know this hope. You know this promise. You have been changed by the power of the Spirit. We have been reborn. We have been born into slavery, but we have been reborn into freedom. Number three. Therefore, live in freedom. We have been born into slavery, but have been reborn into freedom. Therefore, live in freedom. Chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For freedom 
Christ has set us free. Christ came to set us free with the freedom that only he can bring. He came to set us free from sin, to set us free from ourselves, to set us free from our self-centeredness, to set us free from the law, to set us free from our sinful desires that plunge ourselves and others into ruin and destruction. Everybody in this world, they're, they're clamoring, they're, they're seeking something, they're seeking happiness. People, people who live certain kinds of lifestyles, they say, who are you to tell me I can't live like that? What's it to you if I'm just, I just, I'm just seeking my own happiness? The problem is, is the thing that you're trying to find happiness is, is, in go, is going to kill you. It's going to kill you. You see, Christian freedom is the opposite of what the world thinks it is. People say Christianity, and they call it oppression, and they call it traditional, and they call it fundamentalism, and they call it, I don't care what you call it. I call it freedom. I've been set free. Have you? Have, do you know the freedom of being, have you, have you ever been so entangled in sin that there, you knew that you had no power in yourself to set yourself free and you cry to God and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, and he comes into your life and he changes you and he sets you free? Have you ever known that? It's glorious. The world sees Christianity and they say that that. that it's demanding you to deny your true self. When Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, Jesus wasn't, isn't telling you to deny your true self. He's telling you to deny your false self. Take up your cross, go to, the, to, to Golgotha, kill your old self so that your new self can live. The self that you were meant to be that you were made to be a person changed by the holy spirit who has new loves new affections who is holy pure blameless humble joyful gracious thankful who is full of the fruit of the spirit don't you want to be like that there's so many people in the world they they're clamoring clamoring but they're angry they're depressed, they're bitter, they're hurt, they're wounded. They're not free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The Galatians were tempted to go back to the Jewish law and enslave themselves all over again. It would be to succumb to Abraham's error with Hagar and Ishmael. It was acting as if God would not, has not, will not fulfill his promise. It would be like trying to be a slave when God has called you a son. And there's an infinite difference between the two. I close with a story that Jesus once told a very familiar story, perhaps one of the best stories, I think, in the Bible. 
there was a son, but then he despised his father. And he said, he said, give me all your stuff, my portion, and I'm leaving. And the father let him go. And the son went, and he, lit, and he, he spent all the money that, that his father had given him, and he did exactly what he wanted to do. And it ruined him. It ruined him. What happened? The, the son found himself homeless, broke, in a pigsty, looking at the pig's food, wishing that he could have some for himself. And then there's a crucial point, turning point in the story that Jesus tells. And, and he, Jesus says this, and he came to his senses. You see, the son came to his senses. And what does the son tell himself? He tells himself, he says, why am I here? Why am I here? What brought me here? It was me. So what am I going to do? I'm going to go back to my father. And I'm going to tell him, I do not even deserve to be a son. If you would just treat me as a slave, it would be better than the way I'm living now. What does he do? Rags, tattered clothes. He gets up. He begins walking home. The son looks, the the father looks up, sees the son far away. What does that mean? That means every day the father's been looking. It means every day he's been looking for his son to come home. And when he sees his son walking up that road, Before the son could even get a single word out about being a slave, the father grabs him and hugs him and says, bring the best robe, bring the best rings, kill the fatted calf. My son has come home. He was lost and now he is found. He was dead. But now he's alive. Don't be a slave when God has called you a son. We have been born into slavery, but have been reborn into freedom. Therefore, live in freedom. I extend an invitation this morning. Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, at the fullness of time, put on flesh and dwelt among us and he lived a life without sin, the human that you and I were supposed to be. And he paid the penalty for sin on the cross and he rose from the dead showing that his payment has been accepted and that those who trust in him and renounce all this world has and cling to him through faith will not have to pay the penalty for their sin because Christ has conquered it. And this morning... If you look to Christ by faith and cry out to God through Christ and say, God, have mercy on me for Christ's sake, a sinner. And the Holy Spirit comes into your life and changes you from the inside out. You will be saved. And you will be adopted 
into God's eternal family, an heir of the promise, a child of God. I invite you this morning to receive Christ. I plead with you to receive Christ, lest what, ha- lest what happened to Ishmael happens to you. Cast out the slave woman with her son, for he shall not inherit with the son of the free. Let's pray. Lord,